Campsite Media. This podcast deals with adult themes, discussion of sexual assault, and contains some explicit language. It's intended for mature audiences. Hello? What is the, what do you want what me to say? What is going on here? Like, oh, it's why? just, um, chameleon. Chameleon. Okay. You're listening to Chameleon. A production of Campside Media. Oh. <laughs> That story you heard last week about Deb Snyder and her uncomfortable encounters with the Con Queen scam, that started for her back in 2017. And at the same time, something different was bubbling up in town. A kind of seismic shift started by other powerful women in the industry. This morning, A-list actresses like Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, and Jennifer Lawrence joining forces with behind-the-scenes power players to fight sexual misconduct in Tinseltown and beyond. Vanessa wrote a lot about this at the time. She was on the sexual assault beat, in a way. This big shift around sexual harassment and sexual assault was a long time coming. If you asked older actresses in Hollywood, they'd probably say that they never thought they'd be treated like anything but sex objects. But the change did come. Bombshell allegations against Harvey Weinstein, describing several accusations of sexual harassment against the studio executive worth $200 million. As I'm sure you know, the film mogul Harvey Weinstein was raping actresses. He'd have them come to his hotel room for a meeting, supposedly, and then he would make a disgustingly simple demand. You want this part? Have sex with me first. He blocked the exit and said, just stand there and be quiet. I was sitting on the bed talking to Harvey when he pushed me back and forced himself onto me. It was not consensual. I was completely grossed out. And he said, Rosanna, you're making a very big mistake. Look what I've done for. And he mentioned two other actresses, famous actors, Oscar-winning actors. And I said, I'll never be that girl. That was actress Rosanna Arquette. And other actresses came out too. Gwyneth Paltrow, Ashley Judd, Selma Hayek. And suddenly a whole lot of women were pointing fingers at a whole lot of other guys doing some range of similar things. New allegations against a famous movie director, James Toback, has been accused of sexually harassing more than 30 women. Leslie Moonves, the CEO of CBS, allegedly kissed and touched women against their will. Hollywood heavyweight Brett Ratner is on the offense, suing one of several women who've come forward accusing him of sexual harassment or abuse. For a lot of women in Hollywood, it seemed like this was a constructive time. It really did feel like the scales were finally starting to balance out. What's also interesting is that even though women can be huge producers, like Deb Snyder is a huge producer, you never heard about them sexually harassing men during this period. And that's not to say that there couldn't be women who harass men in Hollywood. I mean, I think everybody knows that women can do that. But at the same time, it seems rare. Except in our story. Yeah, our story really flips it on its head. This is Chameleon, the story of the Hollywood con queen. I'm Josh Dean. Chapter 6, Day Player. By now, you've heard the con queen pushing boundaries at times, acting flirtatious with a lot of the marks. But sometimes he crossed the line, in a big way. I remember the first time we heard about this. It was from Eddie. He was in Jakarta, feeling upside down, and the con queen called him very late at night. He said, hey, what are you doing? I said, oh, just trying to get in bed. I got to be up in a few hours. She goes, well, do you have a minute to talk? And I'm like, man, like, come on, dude. Like, you can't be that thirsty. Like, come on. I know I got a cool dog, but 
Let's be real. But Eddie wasn't the only one this happened to. Not by a long shot. I was just talking to an assistant who was kind of, it seemed like to me, he was trying to see if I was available for a call for his boss. That's Joe Scarnici. He's another victim, a photographer who lives near L.A. Joe was in his garage when we spoke. He was really nervous about talking to us and wanted to make sure we weren't scammers ourselves before he got on the phone, which is like fair you. enough. You're on a lav mic? I'm on a lav mic, yeah, and I've been recording for two minutes and 40 seconds now. All right, excellent. But once we got on the phone with him, Joe warmed up. He talked a lot about this assistant he would talk to during the scam. His name was Albert, or at least told me his name was Albert. And he kind of struck me as a late 30s, early 40s, I don't know, I pictured him well-dressed sitting in an office in a huge house at a computer and, you know, with a headset on, kind of talking and dealing with people. Albert's boss was supposedly Christina Ong. She's a secretive billionaire and hotel magnate from Singapore, a new woman the con queen had begun to impersonate. It was kind of like Harvey Weinstein. He always had an assistant bring actresses to him at Hotel de Cap or whatever luxury hotel he was parked in. And those assistants always claimed they didn't know what was really going on behind his hotel room door. Albert would do the same thing. He insisted he had no idea that the victims were being harassed or mistreated in any way by his boss, Christine Ong. So in that way, the supposed assistant was good cop. He said, okay, she's, I'm gonna call in a couple minutes and then I'm gonna get her on the line. Um, you know, please stand by in 10 minutes. Um, so 10 minutes later, I get a call and he says, I'm gonna pass you through to Mrs. Ong and so, I totally thought I was speaking to a 70-something-year-old woman when I was speaking to her. In my head, I totally, the voice matched, you know, what a wise older woman would sound like. I don't know. Joe had, by this point, already been to Jakarta. And by now, you probably know how that went. It ended up being like six or seven days in a row, I think. And uh, I, yeah, it was eight grand in cash that I ended up shelling out for the driver. The price kept going up and up and up until, I mean, it just got ridiculous. Still, he was considering a second trip when Albert called to say that Christina wanted to talk to him. I was out to dinner with a photographer friend of mine and an assistant that we work with, and I get a call from Albert during dinner. So I go out and I'm talking to Albert, and you know, Ms. Long would like to speak with you. Is, you know, I'm like, oh, I'm at dinner. And she's like, well, she's, she's getting into another meeting with her business people. Joe wasn't sure he even wanted to go back to Jakarta, but he felt like he had to take the call. So he walked out of the restaurant, leaving his friends inside. Things were already feeling a bit off, but he wasn't prepared for how weird it was about to get. I'm pacing the sidewalk on the phone, and she goes, it's really loud where you are. Can you go somewhere quiet? And I'm like, well, outside a restaurant. She's like, but I can't really hear you. So I kind of duck into a doorway, and she says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fly you on my private jet to Japan, and you and I will spend a day in Japan and get to know each other discreetly. Is that OK with you? And I was like, wait, what? I, I understand your, your want for privacy of this project. I was like, well, a discreet relationship where I come from means something different. And she's just like, I really loved, I'd really love to meet you in person. We were supposed to meet. And she starts blowing me kisses into the phone. And she's like, blow me a kiss. Tell me you want to meet me in Japan. And she started calling me darling. Darling, I just want to just blow, blow me a kiss. I can't hear you. Can you blow me a kiss? And I'm like, well. Joe was sort of floored. This was uncomfortable, to say the least. He got off the phone and went back inside, where his friends were laughing at him because he was so obviously flustered. Then his phone rang. Albert again. 
he's talking to me and he's like, you need to tell me exactly what you told Christina. And I said, well, you know, she started saying she wanted to fly me to Japan in discreet relationship. I said, you know, I, where I come from, Albert, that means something way different. I always felt like I could talk to Albert differently than Christina. And he says, you're speaking to a 72-year-old woman. I said, I know this, which is also why I'm weirded out about this. He says, look, I think it's possible that something was lost in translation or a cultural misunderstanding here. He said, by discrete relationship, she just means she doesn't want everybody knowing she's going to Japan with anybody. And I was like, okay, I get it, but I just needed to clarify. And I didn't mention to Albert that she was blowing a kiss. I was just kind of embarrassed about that to speak to him about it. Inside, as all of this was happening, Joe's friends pulled out their phones and started Googling about Indonesia and internet scams. My assistant comes running out of the restaurant and he pulls his phone out and he shows me. And the first thing I see is Carly Rudd's blog post about Indonesian scam. Hey guys, I don't normally do this, but I was recently victim to a highly elaborate international business scam. And there's a photo, and the photo was the guy that drove me around for the past six, seven days in Jakarta. Right away, I was like, ugh. And on the phone with Albert at the same time, who's, you know, audibly upset at the situation because his boss is very upset, and I've done something to upset his boss, and he's trying to figure out what the hell just happened because we've been having such a, a, a good work experience with each other for the past, whatever, week and a half. And, and so I'm like, start flicking through and it's like, this is a scam. I start reading her post. And so in my head, I'm like, I, I don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> Sorry for all the swearing. <laughs> no, that's fine. So the fake assistant, Albert, is pretending to be a trustworthy person, wanting to protect Joe from his fake female boss. But it's all the same person. It's like psychological warfare. Oh, we're just getting started. It gets worse after the break. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. So here's Joe in Midtown Manhattan, cornered into this awkward moment where this female billionaire, or a person he thinks is a female billionaire, has just leaped over the line. Then, within moments, he learns it's a scam. But this whole part of the scam, it gets way more twisted than blowing a couple kisses over the phone. Particularly when the con queen was impersonating certain key film execs, like Deb Snyder. Turns out that one of the fake Deb's favorite activities, when she wasn't inventing ridiculous movies like Gotham City Sirens, was to recruit actors. She set her sights on actors of a certain level, who are mostly doing bit parts. They're called day players in Hollywood. Deb, the real Deb, had told me about this herself when I went to her house. They'll say, we saw you in the... And it's true, because you were in this thing. You were a day player. Here's a bigger opportunity. And you're thinking, well, that's how it works. Isn't that the Hollywood story? Like, I get discovered. I come in. I'm, a, I'm an extra. I have a couple lines. And people realize that I'm incredible. That does happen, but it doesn't happen with an on-the-phone interview with the producer. Like, it's, you know, that's not the proper channel. This, Deb says is a thing more established actors would know. But someone striving? Well, even if he felt uncomfortable, he's unlikely to say anything about it. Who does auditions with actors on the phone? Like, first of all, producers are not holding, like, when it comes to auditioning, like, the director is auditioning. And the director will either do it in the room or it will be taped by a casting director. Or sometimes if people are out of town, we'll ask, we'll send them sides and we'll say, can you put yourself on tape? But to actual, like, you know, role play? We'd heard about fake Deb's penchant for unorthodox phone auditions before from Andy at Atlas Entertainment. He's the producer we've talked to a few times now. It was his ties to the story that dragged me into it in the first place. Just to jog your memory, we met Andy in that swanky office on Sunset Boulevard way back at the beginning of our journey. One day, Andy, who worked on the DC Comics movie Suicide Squad with the Snyders, got a call from an actor he knew. He told me about it before I went to see Deb, literally the day before. He says to me, I'm really excited about my trip to LA. You know, when am I going to meet Deb Snyder in real life? And I was like, hold what are you talking about? And he said, I, I acted out a scene with her on the phone. And I go, wait, you, you did what? He goes, yeah, I did a phone audition with her. She played the female role, I played the male role, and it was a scene in an elevator. And she was so complimentary of the work I did. I go, what kind of scene was it? He goes, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, but like it was a, it was a phone, it was a sex scene. And I go, it was, it was a, you acted out a sex scene on the phone with a fake Deb Snyder? So yeah, I was aware of the phone sex thing before I got to the Snyder compound. To be honest, it was a bit of a touchy subject for me. I'd been nervous to broach it with Deb. It's not the most comfortable thing to just bring up, especially as a man talking to a woman. But Deb had done the work for me. She wanted to make sure I was going to discuss the phone sex. 
I hope you touch on the sexual, I hope that's not ignored. You know, especially in light of everything that's going on today, like I pride myself in how I conduct business on how our company conducts business. And it, it's, it's sickening. The last thing a female executive in Hollywood wanted, especially in the wake of this huge reckoning about sexual assault, was to be labeled as a harasser. Someone who pressured guys for sexual favors, the way Harvey Weinstein had with women. It makes me sick to my stomach. And I was disgusted and I was angry. When we talked to Nicole at K2, she'd also heard all of this. And it was more common even than we suspected. Numerous powerful women had their names and positions abused in this terrible way. I've heard of some men who thought they were having virtual relationships with this woman. So there um, were actually men who, like, for a period of time, thought they were in a, like, emotional, had emotional connection with some powerful Hollywood yeah. executive? Yeah, they thought wow. they were going to be a sugar baby. Because that's how he would set it up. You know, I'm going to take care of you when I'm in New York. You're going to come visit. Um, you would be my bodyguard sort of thing. And it's just all for his own edification. Uh, so <laughs> Deb and the others knew how violating it must have been for the victims who were lured into phone sex. These men who are just trying to get jobs in a business that rarely offers a break. And the irony is, these powerful women who were so upset that they were getting painted as harassers in the Me Too era, they all thought it was another woman who was doing it to them. When, of course, it was just another man. The guy who was on the phone with Deb, Andy connected us. And before I called him, we did a little research online. Vanessa found his headshots and called me up laughing about how good looking he was. Jesus Christ, this guy looks like Channing Tatum. <laughs> this actor, he didn't want to use his real name, which under the circumstances, I understand. So we'll call him Kevin. How you doing, man? I'm good, thanks for coming in. How Kevin lives in Hawaii. Yeah. He went to a recording studio out there to talk to us. I've tried to do the LA thing. You know, everybody's an actor over there. As much as I love LA, but you know, you gotta <laughs> drop the persona every once in a while. So I uh, came out on vacation to Hawaii and last night of my vacation got drunk and I'm like, I'm not going back. So I uh, ended up missing my flight the next day. <laughs> and then seven years later, I'm, I'm here. I knew a lot about Kevin's story already, but I wanted to hear what happened directly from him. So I asked him to try and go back to the time we were here to talk about what he was doing then. I did Triple Frontier with Andy. Make no mistake about it. You guys need to own the fact that we do not have the flag on our shoulders. Triple Frontier was this big budget action movie that Andy and Atlas Entertainment made for Netflix. It had a huge cast of leading men. You've been shot five times for your country. Ben Affleck, Charlie Hunnam, Oscar Isaac, Pedro Pascal. Kevin had a small part, but it felt big. I was kind of on a roll. My career was like slowly growing. I mean, it was two years ago, but still young, like kind of getting arrogant, like, you know, my career's blowing up. Like, I'm, you know, even though it wasn't, I was so confident that I was gonna, you know, be this big A-list celebrity <laughs> within two years, whatever. So I'm working out one day and I get a call and I answer, you know, going along the lines of like, okay, like. Why wouldn't somebody call me out of the blue and offer me a role? That kind of delusional mindset right. that I had at the time. They say it's Andy, and it's like this, it's like this really stereotypical, like I heard my grandmother 
it's like this old New York, like, Jewish accent, like heavy, like nasally, right. stereotypical Jewish accent. This, if you can't remember, is what Andy really sounds like. Wait, you, you did what? He goes, yeah, I did a phone audition with her. She played the female role. I played the male role. So not at all like someone's Bubby from Queens. Kevin had hung with Andy on set, but he didn't know him that well. To him, Andy was an L.A. guy, a producer, someone important from this Netflix Ben Affleck movie. Maybe he just had a cold or they had a weird connection. It threw me off at first. I was like, this does not sound like Andy. I haven't talked to Andy on the phone before, so I'm like, okay, maybe he sounds different on the phone. And he starts talking about, you know, we have this big role coming up. I worked with you on set. I mean, I, you know, know how good of an actor you are, and I know you're versatile and this, this, and this. So I'm like, they're talking you up. You're building your ego. They're like, they're making you feel good. And then he goes, I want to put you in contact with this woman, Deb Snyder. Kevin often says they when he's talking about the con queen. He's yet another victim who had no idea it was just one person. I said, like, uh, who's Deb Snyder? And if you didn't know the person's name, they'd act super offended. And so to the point where you're like, oh, yeah, like, I know who they are. But you're like, I don't know who the hell you're talking about. Right. So I had to look Deb Snyder up, like, while I'm on the phone with Andy. And he's like, I'm going to introduce you to her. And I said, you're going to be on the call with us. And he goes, no, I can't do that. So I get transferred over to this woman, Deb Schneider. I'm stoked because I'm like, okay, right after this project, I can roll into the next one. But then the woman, Deb, had a question. So then she's like, do you want to audition? And I'm in the middle of the gym in Kauai, like surrounded by people I know at this point. And I'm like... You know, I'll wait until I get back to my place. I get some quiet. I can prepare a little bit. Can you send me a script over email or like some sides or anything? Kevin wanted her to send the dialogue they would read for the audition over so he could memorize it first. And she goes, no, this is going to be a little different. This is going to be improv and we're going to do it right now. And I was like, um, I'm not too big into improv. So can you give me like a premise, a base? And can you just wait till I get back to my place? And, and she goes, well, a real actor would do this on the spot. And I'm like, okay, like, oh, it can't be that bad. It's just an audition. So then she's like lays out the setting and the synopsis. And she's like, we want to give you this role. And it's a major co-star role. And it's the Black Adam movie. Black Adam was, and is, a real superhero movie starring The Rock. No one will ever stop me again. It's from the DC universe, so it made sense that Deb Snyder would be involved. So I was like, okay, that's cool. I've worked with The Rock before. I love his projects. But Kevin was surprised, even a little mystified by this opportunity. And I'm like, why would they give this no-name person <laughs> a co-star role in this major film? And they go, well, they want some new faces. If you know Deb Snyder, then you know that... I like bringing no names up and, and putting them in the spotlight and stuff like that. And I said, all right, I'll play along with it. So she lays the scene out and it's, we're at a hotel bar and you go in and there's a woman there and you're trying to get information from her. And you got to finesse this woman and you got to make her fall in love with you. So I'm like, okay, I can do that. I've done plenty of like flirting scenes. Except... Never on the phone with older women. I have this, like, old New York accent. I just hear my grandmother every time. So I'm like, think, right. the whole time I'm doing this audition, I'm thinking of my grandma. I'm in a car, and there's 
people walking by my car while I'm doing this. I'm like bright red. I'm like embarrassed. I'm like, I don't want to freaking do this. So she's like, okay, so now we're going to go to the elevator. We're going to go up to the room and have sex or whatever. So I'm like, okay, we're not going to get there in this phone call edition. So, okay, we make it to the elevator and she starts making this. She's like, okay, you're going to kiss me. And I'm like, okay, like, mwah, whatever. She's like making these like weird sexual moans. And she goes, no, like, I want it passionate. And I'm like, making fake kissing noises. And I'm like, this is fucking weird. Like, I feel it. And I told her, I was like, yo, this is like sexual harassment right here. And she goes, well, a real actor would be able to handle this and do this. And she goes, well, then our time here is done. And I was like, okay. And then she hangs up. So I go back in the gym and I'm like, I feel like gross. And not just gross. Kevin felt like he'd blown it. Something huge. I was like, damn, like, granted, I fucked up auditions before, but I felt like this was something big, and I, I really fucked this up. For better or worse, Kevin gets a second chance. Right after a short break. <laughs> If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Is Meghan Markle like Princess Diana, or is she just a social climber? I was silent. Were you silent, or were you silenced? Is she a breath of fresh air, or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently, ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together. It's the family that I suppose she's never had. And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast, Infamous. You're listening to Camellia from Campside Media. Kevin kept replaying his weird audition call in his head, unable to shake a creepy, sinking feeling. He had done what felt like the right thing, standing up for himself, and yet he felt terrible about it. Because doing the right thing had probably cost him the biggest break of his life. The next day, I'm on set, and I think we're eating breakfast, and I get a call. She's like, hey, we decided to give you another opportunity to make up for yesterday and stuff like that. So I'm like relieved. I'm like, oh, thank God. Like I get another opportunity to, you know, try out for this role. But remember, he was at work in Hawaii. I was like, well, I'm on set right now. Can I give you a call when I get back to my place tonight? And she goes, no, you have to do it right now. I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot, but can we do a different scene than yesterday? And they go, no. The scene has to be this. This is the, the biggest scene, so we want to make sure you can handle it. And then she's like, here, have a conversation with Andy real quick, and then I'll transfer you back over. 
So she transfers me back to Andy and then starts talking to me. Again, this is the bizarro Andy with a strange accent. And then goes through the whole scene again. And I'm like giving it a little more because I'm like, I don't want to fuck this up. And then she goes, okay, I'll give you a call and see if you're, you're up for it later. Hangs up. Two days go by and I get another call. And she's like, I want to fly you over. I'm going to switch you over to Andy. He's going to get your information. We're going to fly you to L.A. As much as he wanted to go after this big co-star role on the Black Adam movie, Kevin couldn't just get up and leave the show he was on. Day player or not, he needed the job. And she goes, screw that job. If you were a real actor, you would drop that job and come fly over right now and come see me. And it turned into this whole, it went from an audition to you're going to come see me. And it's like, do you want me? And do you want this job? It turned into like a weird Harvey Weinstein, like, now I'm in control. Like, if you want this job, you're going to please me. And I'm like, I want the job, but I'm not like that desperate to, you know, sleep with somebody to get the job. Was she implying that you would should sleep with her when you went to L.A.? Or, or was that just between the lines, like, I want you to come and stay with me? She wasn't like flat out. No, asking. it was flat out. It was flat out. Um, she flat out said, you're going to come stay with me while my husband's away or something like that, and we're going to get you this job. Yeah. Right. So Pretty clear what by she the, meant the, by that. The third or fourth phone call it was pretty direct, like, to get this job, you're going to sleep with me. So, yeah, the Weinstein treatment. This is my dream. Like, I've always wanted to be, like, oh, shit. I was three years old, you know, doing mock interviews at, at Stone Mountain, pretending like I was in a movie. Like, like this has always been my dream and my passion. My goal was to, you know, star in a major film. So this was like, okay, like, it was a silver platter. But at the same time, it's like, to what, what do I, what am I willing to sacrifice in order to accomplish that dream and, and, and reach that dream? Fake Deb had managed to make Kevin feel like a piece of meat, the way Weinstein had with those actresses. And Kevin was so conflicted, feeling both gross and like he was making a mistake, overreacting in some way. Maybe this is just the way things worked, still, even after Me Too. I called my father and I was like, Dad, this has been going on, like, and I don't, me and my dad don't get like real like deep about stuff, but like, Cause like nothing, you know, I'm like the manly man. Like I don't have any issues with like this kind of stuff. So I was like, I don't feel right about it. I was like, this all feels like wrong. And like, like I'm not really willing to like do this for a role. And he goes, you know, I can't really give you, you know, any, cause he's been, you know, police officer for 35 plus years, just working from the day he was born to now. He's like this, hardened, like, manly man. He's like, I don't know the industry. I can't give you any advice on where to go from here. But if it doesn't feel right, just, you know, do what you feel is right. I was, felt like molested, like sexually harassed. And I felt gross every time I walked away from the phone. People can say all day long, like, yeah, I would never do that. This would never happen to me. That's bullshit. Like, when you want something bad enough, it's, as low as you are willing to go, it's gonna, you're going to you know, make some sacrifices. 
The experience was a window into what happens to so many women in the course of their lives. And it's amazing how much this guy sounds like the women who are harassed by Hollywood's predators. Ten years or more of my, my professional possibilities were diminished. That experience uh, made me stop fulfilling my dreams, made me decide to completely change my entire life because I wasn't willing to be, you know, treated like an object. These women said that their experience with Weinstein devastated them. And every day that went by that he was not in jail, I feared that I would once again be targeted. It made them afraid. It changed the meaning of their lives. And Kevin, he kind of felt that way too. It crushed me. It, um, it didn't just humble me, it, it totally crushed me. Uh, after that, I didn't even attempt to work. I, uh, I stopped searching, like looking for work and applying for things, and I, I kind of lost faith in the industry completely. It, it kind of ruined my dream. And then at the same time, all this Harvey Weinstein stuff was going on, the Bill Cosby stuff. And I was like, the only way to make it at this point is, you know, to please somebody else. And I was like, I'm not willing to do that. In the end, Kevin didn't need to make the decision. Once he called the real Andy, finally, he learned that Deb was a fake. And then, like so many other victims, Kevin got on the phone with Nicole at K2 Intelligence. And she told him the truth about the scammer. She's like, it's a dude, and he's very good at like changing his voice and stuff. Kevin felt completely upended. He'd been lured into this awkward situation, tortured himself over it, only to find out it was all for nothing. There was no part, no movie. Nobody actually wanted him to co-star in anything. A pit in my stomach, like wanted to throw up. Like I was sick for days. It was almost like being raped. Like I was like, I'm not even gonna compare it to that because that's horrible, but it was just like, I felt completely violated. I think I was like physically ill for days after that. Didn't want to get out of bed, like depressed. Nicole asked Kevin for a favor. It was no small thing. She goes, hey, we want you to get back on the phone with this person and try to record the call. Um, so I said, okay. One final time, he would subject himself to the humiliation in the interest of justice. I go to record it, and the thing doesn't record, it just stops when the phone's rolling. So I don't know if it was the app I was using or what it was, but uh, it stops. I try to call the number back, and it's a burner phone. The call doesn't go back, and I think the, the phone was totally shut off right after that. Um, I got no more phone calls. Fuck the what's next, go and cash your bad checks. Next time on Chameleon, we take things into our own hands and for the first time, start to zero in on the identity of the scammer. Chameleon is a production of Campside Media. It's developed, created, and written by Vanessa Grigoriadis and me, Josh Dean. The executive producer is Mark McAdam. Our associate producer is Abakara Don. Fact-checking by Callie Hitchcock. Editorial support by Doug Slaywin and Natalia Winkleman. Our technical consultant is Ben Decker of Amedica. Our theme song is Bad Checks by Houses. Sound design and additional music by Mark McAdam. 
Our consulting producers are Andy Horowitz at Atlas Entertainment and Charles Master Pietro at Circle of Confusion. The executive producers at Campside Media are me, Josh Dean, Vanessa Gregoriadis, Adam Hoff, and Matt Scher. If you enjoyed Chameleon, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners like you find the show. And make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any information about the Con Queen scam or were a victim and would like to share your story, please call 203-807-4453. You can also email us at chameleonpod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. You spent a bad year in the wrong bed. Start a new life where you play dead.